Distinguished adventurers, welcome to another session of Magic and Metal. It's our little tribute to things that we love, uh, despite where they came from, in some cases, and just things we love without any sort of qualifications. I am your Game Master, uh, my name is Jonathan, and I'm going to throw it over to our normal Game Master, uh, Lauren, for uh, some announcements. Hey, Lauren, how's it going? Normal Game Master? I mean, we've all done the, the GM, DM seat. I, I think I'm just the one that did it the longest, the last. I, I would that also is the say title that, I will take. I will also say that compared to the stories that I'm telling, yours are way more, shall I say, even in their quality. And <laughs> this one's going to be really swingy. <laughs> Listen, this, all this I is have... the D12 of quality of story here. All that matters is that we all have fun, and I've been having a blast. We are down a jewels for this episode and for a few episodes coming forward. Do not worry. We love her. She is still part of the team. She's just taking a little bit of a break, and we'll be back when she can. Also, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is dedicated to Judith Steen, Storyteller Apprentice. Thanks for coming with us on our adventures Cheers to you. I've got ginger ale and bourbon, which has kind of become my go-to drink recently. Mm. Ginger would probably actually be pretty good for me right now, given my voice. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know how that works. We have others that are in this party that would like to say hi. Hey, Jack, how's it going? <laughs> hey, Jonathan, I'm doing all right. Um, how's everyone out there in, I don't know the title, Outside the Roanoke Academy. Well, no, we know how people are doing Outside the Roanoke Academy, so... We're going to workshop that. Too Not good. Too soon? Too soon. Too soon. Oh. All right. And also joining us, uh, you may hear the sounds of a, of a little demon, as, uh, as was put. Uh, John. Hey, John. How's it going? Hey, it's John, your favorite. Alfredo Banzini. Yeah, uh, I got the toddler here with me, so you might hear some babbling in the background if uh, she's too quick on the, the babbles for the edit. So, uh, And today I am drinking cranberry lime seltzer water. Ooh, nice. Oh, I'm drinking water. We'll see how fast my edit buttons are. <laughs> I think this is the first time we're recording in a long time that I don't have actually anything to drink at all. So wow, <gasps> wow. So I'm hoping I don't get like a dry parched throat or get raspy or whatever. Um, uh, work hazard, I guess. So hey, listen. One of the joys of pre-recording these shows is if at some point you're like, "All right, everybody, I gotta go get some water." I can cut out. All the silence. The viewers at home, the listeners at home, they'll never know. I will even cut out when you come back and say, oh, I got myself some water. Right now, you'll be like, uh, what everybody else at home will hear was, I went and got myself some water. And <laughs> no, I what you'll hear is, I got myself some water. That's right. That is the <laughs> cor correct pronunciation. Of course, as you claimed before, I am bilingual. I can say it both ways. And uh, just as a, a little bit of a, uh, a quick, quick warning, I am drinking water because I am getting over... Uh, some sicknesses. I recently had the Paxlovid rebound a little bit. I'm fine. We're all fine here. But it has affected the, the vocal cords just a little bit. So uh, some people, might, some people might, might sound a little different than previous. It's okay. It's fine. All right. Last we left off, everyone was flying back to the Roanoke Academy of the Arcane following their successful mission of destroying some annihilators and rescuing some, some humans, pentas, as the non-magic-wielding humans are known. As you are flying back, you all land. When you approach the academy, you approach a nondescript forest. And as you are flying very quickly before the very tall trees, several of the, uh, of the pentas on your broomstick start, uh, what's going on? What's going on? And as you are not slowing down, you hit the tree line, and as several illusions pass through you, you see the grand and impressive grounds of the Roanoke Academy of the Arcane. It is blends into the land a little bit. It's got a tree line. It's got several open fields. You see uh, several floating, what look like rock formations, that, and you see actually a few students flying around them on their broomsticks. And you pass through several periods of buildings. You see some that are clearly inspired from, like, American colonial buildings. You see some that look older European buildings. You even see what looks like just a straight-up medieval castle. And it's, it's a wild amalgam of different looks. But it all see, is weirdly tied together by symbols of arcane power 
that are protecting the entire area, projecting both a protective field and an illusion to, that will fool both pentas and annihilators. And as you land in a courtyard, you all quickly dismount the brooms and you see one of the professors, Paul Lafferty. He's one of the Bison House professors. And he says, ah, excellent. We have some new new folks joining us. Please, this way, uh, ladies and uh, and children and and gentlemen and whoever and uh, and and I think uh, of them them they them yes uh, I'm I'm sorry I'm still learning so yes please accompany me and we will uh, we will get you squared away in some of our protective quarters and we will we will attempt to uh, uh, help you so please please this way how many people did we actually manage to pick up uh, like five that's still yeah. I'm not gonna say no to that yeah. So. Professor Lafferty uh, escorts them away. He gives a uh, nod to Grisham, being a fellow uh, fellow Bison House m- uh, member. As you approach, another professor is waiting for you. You know her as one of one of the art professors, also a member of the Venus House, and uh, she is Professor Helen Griffin. And she approaches you all and says, "Oh, I see you are back from a, no doubt, a successful mission. Ah, very interesting." Interesting that's successful or interesting that we're back? Yes. Anyway, Evelyn, I have a special project that I would need, I need your, your help with. So if you would please uh, accompany me to the studio, I have much to speak to you about. And Evelyn nods, looks at all of you, gives you kind of a, kind of gives you the, the sort of like mm, little look that, she, that you all have gotten from her and heads off with Professor Griffin. The rest of you are met by Freddy, one of the uh, one of the attendants at the school, a penta who actually does work at this school. Apparently his parents were magical, but he is not. And he has taken up uh, a residence at the academy doing odds and ends. He's sort of like a, a mundane handyman. Really good at his job, but uh, but he he doesn't like being pitied for not having magic. But you guys know that he's pretty handy beside that. I mean, he can fix stuff that I can. I got all this magic stuff. So, you know, I consider that a win for him. Freddy is a extremely tall uh, human. He is uh, 6'9 and easily over 300 pounds. And he got a linebacker. Holy crap. <laughs> you have a defensive end. We've got a defensive end. Holy crap. And uh, he greets you all. Uh, Ah, yes, I was told to bring you to the professor's office. Um, Please follow me. Are we in trouble? I mean... No, he needed to see you. He is in a meeting that he would also like you to attend. Fair enough. I mean, Freddy, anything you're going to say with that voice, I'm going to do. And if you say follow you, I'm following you. Hey, uh, Freddy, if you ever want a job on the side, you, uh, you just uh, let me know. I can, I can, I can, I can find something from work for you. Fredo, we've had this talk. And at at this point, you're walking. Fredo, I, I, you have made this offer to me many times um i appreciate it but but i i enjoy my work it's especially now there's just so much to take care of with all the pentas that people that that folks like you are bringing us oh i i understand i understand uh, just in case you had changed your mind i forgot i'd offer again and the next time i forget about it i'll ask you again and we'll have this conversation again and then maybe you'll change your mind that that's okay thank you and freddie leads you all through uh, you actually enter the uh, the medieval castle section of the school, and you go in through a massive entry hallway. It is decorated with paintings and sculptures, and it's full of life. You see students walking about. You see groups, not unlike yours, uh, small teams that have clearly either come back from some sort of adventure or are getting ready to leave talking to the odd professor about what they're going to be doing. You see all ages of children and, and teenagers scurrying about to whatever they need to do. This place is very alive. As you walk through, you do see several, as you exit the hall and move into the, the sort of the courtyard of this keep, you do see flying overhead people who, who are tasked with staying in the air and, uh, and helping out. Uh, in fact, you guys remember that in uh, next month, you have a rotation where all you're going to be doing is just flying over the campus and and making sure nothing uh, nothing untowards happens. You come back into the main castle, to the main keep of this particular area, and start the climb 
up a long flight of stairs. The stairs are are a different make of everything else. You have nice wood floors in most of the other areas, but this is marble as you as you ascend these stairs. All of your boots kind of clack against the uh, the stairs as you head up. And you pass the odd window, and you're go you're actually going very high at this point. You can see the school from these these little sort of ramparty windows. And as you get to the top, uh, you enter an office that is far larger than it should be given the size of this tower. And as Freddy opens the door and he nods to you all, thank you, Grisham, chess later. Yeah. Excellent. And he, he walks. Bye, Freddy. Uh, bye, bye. You see Freddy blush a little. And, oh, bye, bye, Marie. And he, he kind of like shuffles away. I lean over to, to Grisham. Why does he blush every time I do that? I'm just being friendly. If I had to guess, I'd say the usual reason. Uh, what's the usual reason? Because he's India. Oh, that, that usual reason. Aw. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. I mean, his voice is real nice. You, you enter this office. Freddy is younger. Young. He's young. Oh. Freddy is young. Okay, then no, never no, no, mind. No, 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 no. What I mean is there's not a significant age difference between you two. Like, okay, he just that... happens to not be magical. So he's also huge. But yes, he's not, he's not like an adult that's like, hey. Well, I'm 18. So like, I'm, I, you know. <laughs> right, right. But like, a, he's, he's like 19 or 20. So. Okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. I got nervous when you said he's young. And I'm like, wait a second. No, 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 not Have that. Have I misjudged this person? <laughs> anyway, anyway. So you enter the office and you see a richly appointed office, various knickknacks and trophies along the walls, including books. You see, you go up and again, it looks like this ceiling is far higher than it should be on this tower. You see an astrolabe and other sort of like astronomical instruments. You see a table that seems to have a pool of water in the middle, and it then continues into an even longer table that's that's got even more water. But the water is not still as you've normally seen it. It actually is, it looks like it, it's holding a map in it. Talking over this map are two men, one of whom that you've, you know very well, it's Professor Julian Fusselsnap. The other one is someone you haven't seen before. He is not a very tall man, 50-ish. He seems pretty fit, but it's hard to tell under sort of the loose black fatigues that he's wearing. He seems to be wearing some sort of armor vest. You've seen this kind of vest before. It looks like a standard tactical vest, but instead of like, you know, lots and lots of pockets and stuff, it has those, but it also has runes on it. And so you think it's imbued with a little bit more protection than what normal armor would have. In fact, these vests are available to you if you request them. They're just not, there aren't very many of them. So to see him wearing one is a little a little strange, especially since you've never seen this person before. Also, he has very short, sort of a high and tight hair that's that's actually grown out a little bit, but it's shaved up to the top, and he's heavily scarred. Still a decent-looking man, but you, you can see like he's got a scar that goes from uh, the top of his eyebrow to his cheek. He's got a scar on the side of his head. That lo- they look like burns, uh, mostly. And he and Professor Fusselsnap are talking, and you see them pointing, and as you approach, the conversation is kind of going, yes, well, uh, you, I would say the, the progress in, uh, in the South Texas area has been most, ah, welcome. I'm glad to hear that your mission was most successful, as Professor Fusselsnap sort of turns around and, and greets all of you. I hear Evelyn has been called away by Professor Griffin. The, her project is actually very important. Uh, it's, it's good that she was available to help Professor Griffin. But you all are available to help me. Yeah, you kept messaging us like in the middle of everything. I thought I told you that that's really annoying. I know, but this I will explain to you why this was most critical. And he turns to the, the person that you've, you haven't seen before. This is Con Jonner. And he is the the leader of most of the Penta resistance. He is originally. I love you so much, Jonathan. <laughs> you he is originally. That word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> he is originally from what used to be Washington D.C., but his uh, his influence and leadership have extended far and wide. He is an inspiration to not only the Pentas but to many of us as well on the magical side, and. 
you see John <laughs> Con, kind of mean? like tips back on his heels. <laughs> you mean Con? <laughs> Con! 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 Yep. Con. You see Con Jonner, uh, he sort of like grabs the top of his vest and kind of rests his hands there and says, well, Professor, that's very kind of you to say, but uh, I would say it's the cooperation of all of us in this time. So these are who, these are the, uh, the folks that you are wanting to help us? Before we answer, I lean over to Fredo and I say... Humility is a hallmark of the Potomac Johnners. <laughs> I don't hear that because as he looks on over, the thing I say is, I mean, you must be doing some awesome things to get those awesome scars. Are we going to hear the stories about those? Because I really want to hear the stories about those. If things go well, Maureen? Yes, yes you've Maureen. Been, you've been briefed well. Yes. Uh, Maureen, Grisham, Alfredo. I'm sorry, Fredo. You call me Fredo. Yes. Yes, Professor Fusselsnap and I have been talking on a matter that is most concerning, although I'm not, I don't totally understand all of it, but it does seem like a grave matter. And Professor Fusselsnap sort of takes up the, he knew that he was sort of being thrown to it. Yes, suffice it to say, these critical matters are very disturbing. And he waves his hand over the water. And you can see that the map sort of zooms out, and it's the former United States that you're seeing, uh, and a little bit of Mexico and Canada. And he says, as you can see, Jonner's forces have driven StormNet out of many of the data centers that it was previously occupying for computational power. And you see here, NORAD, South Texas, all now controlled by humanity, both Penta and mundane. Woo! Wait, that was not, we're not supposed to cheer? I mean, that sounded like a good thing. Yes, Maureen. It is probably okay to celebrate like this. It's, in my humble judgment, we are winning. And you see Con Jonner kind of like tip on his heels. He looks a bit uncomfortable saying that. And he says, well, Professor, I, it's still far too early for that. I don't think we can... We can assure victory just yet, especially given what we've been talking about. So we're not hashtag winning? Not yet, uh, Fredo. I'm afraid something much more dire has presented itself. And he waves his hand over the map, and it zooms in on the area that's just north of you guys. Like Norfolk, Washington, D.C., that area. And, and and you can see that it's actually, it's not zoomed in too far, but it's, you can see part of like the Carolinas and then Georgia. He says, we have been pushing from the south into the Georgia area. There is a large number of data centers in around Atlanta that StormNet relies on for its computational power. We have been putting forces in place to take those data centers away from StormNet. And then Con Jonner says, Yes, we will strike from the west, the south, and several elements of your school and uh, some participating schools from the African continent and from Asia are all going to be helping in more of an aerial support role. Are we going to be blowing up more stuff? We just blew up some stuff and it was awesome. When you say that, Khan and uh, Professor Fussel Snap look at each other and you, they exchange a really weird, like, concerned look says no no well this will be a great battle and maybe one of the last in this war you have a much more important task and the he waves his hand the map zooms into the like the norfolk virginia area tell me what do you remember of the norfolk virginia area i would dare say that you would probably not remember much you see, this area was rife with military activity during the, t during the time before StormNet. Several experimental facilities for various technologies that, that Pentas used before everything uh, collapsed. Unfortunately, uh, several of the facilities there have become active once more, and the technology they're researching is far more grave than anything the Pentas had come up with. And... The professor waves his hand over the thing again, and several images appear of clearly magic users. 
one of whom you guys recognize. I believe you know Professor Hamilton Hower. Oh, shit. Yes. Uh, no, Maureen doesn't say that. Maureen leans in and is like, what's Professor Hower doing there? Several weeks ago, chronomancers started disappearing around areas near controlled zones by Stormnet. As he may have explained, chronomancy is not an area that many have expertise in. So when one chronomancer went missing, we, ha we lose magical arcanists all the time. But when two chronomancers disappeared in short order, that became concerning. And then Professor Howard disappeared. He was on some sort of excursion, and he never returned. We have identified five chromomancers that have now gone missing in our magical realms. Using what diviners that we could, we have tracked them generally to this area. But something more disturbing is going on. And Con uh, Jonner kind of steps up and says, We regularly patrol as many areas as we can with what limited drones and airplanes that we have. This area, though, has been experiencing some very strange properties. We have pilots lose time. We've had drones all of a sudden appear in one place where they shouldn't be. How many seconds are they losing? Or gaining? Or both? Several. <gasps> and I look over at, at Grisham. I pat myself down instinctively, almost without thinking, trying to see if I have the, uh, the pocket watch on my ear or not. And, and Lauren, I'll let you decide whether I have it or whether you were able to take it. <laughs> I would love to have done a roll to see if I could, because I think on the on the long walk up, absolutely. Here's the thing. I, I slept in that class. Let's do this. Let's make an opposed uh, roll between you two to see who has it right now. And it's, okay. it's either taken from someone or you guys can figure it out. But this is for the net result of whoever has uh, Professor Howard's pocket watch right now. So give me brains or flight, since flight's sort of like dexterity. Either one, whichever you're better at, and, and give me a roll. Gonna roll for brains. I'm gonna roll for flight. Fly away from here. Oh, I have to explode. I can roll it again if I roll a max dice, right? Okay, cool. In that case, I got a 10. I see a 9 on my side. You can... Jack is right. I got a 9. All right. So currently, Grisham has the watch. Yeah, I tried. So I tried to take it from you, and I think because we got so close, I managed to get it out and was just about to put it away in, in one of my own pockets when then you noticed and went back in time, like, and stopped me. <laughs> just, like, pat the pocket. And Grisham feels slightly bad that he was not nicer to Professor Howard when he had the chance. So, Con Jonner continues and says, We believe that the machines are attempting to unlock the secrets of chronomancy. This is um, extremely concerning development and he looks to the professor bustle snap he's like yes he kind of takes aback and he says time manipulation chronomancy as we call it is much more an art than an algorithm though equations help we barely understand it and a machine without the gifts of the arcane bulldozing its way through time is an imminent danger not only to our world both Penta and Arcane, but to reality as well. Do you think that all those people are helping the machines? Like, willingly? Knowing the professors as I do, and as well you do, most of these professors are not people you know. But we all know Professor Hauer. There is no way he would help the machines. I slept in chronomancy class. What I understand is that the machines are going to be their own granddads, though, right? Well, so. Here's, here's the thing. All we know is that you can only go back like a second. Like, Grisham and I have been trying to do more, but you get like a second. And so it's hard to be your own granddad when you can only go back a second. Unless you can go back a second. That might have been an episode that I seen on the TV back in the day then. I wonder if they figured out how to go back a second and then immediately go back another second and then, like, daisy chain seconds. Oh, no. Grisham, is that something we can do? Well, it's not something we can do with a machine that moves fast at the speed of thought. That's a scary prospect. Oh. Man, I could undo so many bad deals if I had actually paid attention in that class. Yeah, but if you go back and stop yourself from making the bad deal, then you change all of reality. 
but I don't make the bad deal. I'm sure, Fredo, that your dealings in time might not be as consequential as a machine mind that wishes to annihilate all Gordon, uh, organic life in this world. And time does not just merely extend to this planet. Time is a part of our reality. We cannot have them damaging time and uh, forcing us into non-existence. Also, I'm just worried about Professor Hauer and those other people. Yes, that is also a grave concern. And he turn, he goes to, to Khan and, and, sa- and Khan sort of like steps up and starts pointing. We have noticed that since we started our offensive, they've strangely left this facility unguarded, likely not to draw attention to it. Fortunately, the diviners that work with Professor Snap and your school were able to discern things that were wrong about that area, more so than the observations from our pilots and drones. So we think that it would be relatively easy, especially with our offensive in the lower part of the country, to sneak in there and destroy these experiments and rescue the prisoners. That is the task that is going to befall all of you. Are we blowing up time? Hopefully not. Hopefully you'll be rescuing time. Okay. At least that's what Professor Fusselsnap says. What do we want? The understanding that space and time are part of the same continuum. When do we want it? There. I, I'm still working on that equation, Grisham, but I'm glad that you're ahead. You see the gears in Fredo's head turning <laughs> and then like wincing in pain. Professor Fusselsnap sort of pats Fredo on the back. Oh. Do not worry, son. Your objective is going to be very, very clear. Infiltrate the facility, rescue who you can, and stop the experiments, whatever they are. Oh, yeah, that, that I can easily do. It's the whole Jeremy, bury me, timey, wimey. Hopefully, you will not need to worry about that. So, uh, you, may, you may stay and, uh, and study this map and take in whatever else... I have, and he looks to his bookcase, bookcase, and you see that uh, everyone go ahead and make me doop 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 probably brains, but I thought there was like an actual, yeah, everyone give me a brains roll. Sure. I got a two. I'm still looking at the water. Okay. I'm trying to avoid the temptation of poking one of the buildings with my, my finger to see whether it's water or not. You're trying to resist that? I'm trying to resist doing that, because I know that that would be disruptive. But I really want to know, when the map is a map, instead of a pool, do all the buildings get really hard? Is it ice? Is it something else? Is it jello? Give me a grit roll. Sure. Uh, that's a seven. You kind of lightly touch the water map, and you do see that it is contoured. And the part that you touched is water, but you touched like a like a hill or high part of the of the topographical deal. So it doesn't disrupt much, but yeah, it's it's all of its water just contoured and, and weird and magic-y. Professor Fusselsnap uh, points you to a bookcase that's uh, near that seems to have, weirdly, a lot of relevant information for your mission. Uh, maps of the area atlases a few a few books on like roadmaps topographical maps yeah it seems like this bookshelf that's near you guys happens to be suited for what you're doing that's weird hopefully grisham and fredo rolls better than me <laughs> pulling back the curtain that was to see if you noticed that the bookshelf had changed since you walked in oh grisham got a six but you didn't notice <laughs> this is just a transitory part uh you guys prep on your mission you get to know the outside of the facility and everything, and... Do we get a map? Yeah, there, there's plenty of maps. There's a big water map for you, and there's plenty of atlases that you can copy, and, and like, triptychs. Weirdly, there are triptychs in this, uh, in this bookshelf, if anyone remembers what those mm-hmm. are. There are a few of those, as far as, far as like, you know, the big roadmaps that are, like, you know, you, you look up in the index where you're going, and then it tells you which page and which grid. Yeah, there are a few of those in there, too. You also find a couple of file folders that are marked classified that probably shouldn't be in this thing, but hey, they're and they're like aerial photos of the uh, of the entire facility. Alfredo, look, look, classified. Hey, I like that. Let me uh, let me take a look real quick. Here, uh, are you park- pocketing them, uh, Alfredo? Oh, of course. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, we need all the information that we can get. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. You see that Professor Fusselsnap and and Con John are, are are talking at the exit to the office, and they shake hands, and uh, Con looks back at you all and says, "Thank you for all of your efforts. Uh, I'm going to be uh, tip of the spear again, but uh, good luck. Hopefully, we'll talk again." And he turns around and he leaves. I look at my friends. Did he tell us? When the actual offensive was going on that was supposed to do all of the distracting. Uh, Professor Fussel Snap comes back and says, Ah, yes, that'll, that all should be happening within the next two days. I believe on the day after tomorrow is when the offensive starts. And that should allow for you to get into that facility uh, more or less unseen. The machines think that we don't know about it. And they would probably expect more forces to come after it. Uh, your band should be able to get through pretty stealthily and take care of it. You know me. We are trusting a lot in you. I'm super stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> Make a charm roll. <laughs> All right. Oh, hey, I'm real good at that. That's a D4. That's a two. You see Professor Fossil Snap's eyebrow kind of raise like yes i hope so in any case your other skills that you your party is most notable for your ability to make seemingly anything combustible will also prove very handy all right grisham you're the smartest among us what else do we need in order to do the secret top secret secret super secret mission ah grisham ponders this for a second and he says probably luck luck would be good and he and he says it in a way where it's not like kind of a hopeless luck. He's like, you know, we need any kind of probability magic to sort of, you know, as a buff, potentially. That's awesome. We also need them arcane vests. Oh, yeah, that vest look cool. Can we get one of those vests? Get three of those vests. Can we get three of those vests? I think it's important for the for the mission, right? Like morale and, you know, honestly, like. And green M&Ms. Gotta be saving the world. We should look good doing it. Why do we need green M&Ms? It would seem that you would need all of the resources to make sure this mission is a success. And please, and he points to the front of his office by his desk, which all of you had your backs to. As you turn around, you see three mannequins. They're, they're sort of the, just the torso mannequins on a, on a stand. And you see three vests that have seemingly just appeared there. They are similar to uh, Con Chonner, except... All of them sort of have the same runes. Interestingly, the runes seem to be inscribed on patches that have been like loop and hooked. So they've got the runes sort of on there. They're not like sewn in. They're kind of like patched on. And you see uh, as sort of a shoulder, like a, like a shoulder flash, all of them have your house's emblem on them. And you see that they are all perfectly fitted for you. I would say the benefit is that you can get... You get a plus two to the unplanned rolls and plus one to any planned rolls. Oh. Planned actions. So they're better if, if you're not expecting it, weirdly. Grisham also was thinking about like, um, you know, like paradoxes and things of that nature. Like if, if, if something as simple as the sentence is false could have destroyed the machines by now, it probably would have. But he's trying to think through all of the vulnerabilities the machines have just by virtue of their software. If they're... They're operating similar to, to machines do now. In theory, like, you know, they're going to shut down in conditions like cold and things of that nature. And I want to see if there's anything, like, like from a magic standpoint, that could help us, them, the party, like, exploit those vulnerabilities. Make a brains roll. Oh, boy. Third one in a row. Let's take a look. Oh, man. Uh, Grisham, what if we set their internal clocks to zero zero from 99? Oh. Shouldn't that shut them all down? <laughs> one thing that you do know is that uh, near the end of humanity's reign over the world, uh, software had gotten increasingly arcane. This is something that you've picked up from your Penta studies. It got to the point where no one really knew how it worked, and it was one of the reasons why StormNet flourished and even came into being, was because no one really understood how it worked. It had been built on so many software levels, each one more arcane than the last, and it worked at such a high speed that it was impossible for human overseers to really get down into the nitty-gritty. And you've seen Annihilators in action, and they are pretty impervious to most stuff, the Annihilators proper. 
you've fought them in very cold weather. You fought them in very warm weather. They don't like extreme cold or hot. You've you actually you've seen freezing spells work on them, uh, and you've obviously seen fire work, uh, extreme fire work on them, magical fire. You're pretty sure that mundane fire or mundane cold probably wouldn't be as effective. It's one of the reasons why the humans are winning at this point is because they've gotten the help of magic users who do more than throw small lead slugs at them, you know? Gotcha. I rolled a three. So nice idea. Maybe not such a great roll, though. I mean, it, it sort of like takes you back to some of the surface level stuff that you've studied about Stormnet and your practical experience with Annihilators, which, I mean, you've, you've tended to blow up the ones that you've, you've run into. Lightning is super effective. Yes. That's what I've learned. Let's, let's deviate a little bit from, the, as you guys are sort of donning your vests and everything, tell me about, and we'll start with Fredo, tell me the worst injury you've gotten from fighting Annihilators. And it doesn't have to be that bad. Like, you, like if it's just a scar, that's fine. If you've had other stuff. But, but tell me, spin me a little tale about your, your worst uh, Annihilator injury. So, Fredo, uh, as he's, are we kind of, Showing our battle scars to each other? Is that where this... Yeah, yeah, scene yeah. Is? I mean, this is stuff that you probably have already talked about, but as you're kind of like putting on the vest, and these vests go kind of over your clothes, so it's not like you're having to strip down, but as you like, you know, you're lifting up your shirt, and maybe your your shirt lifts up a little, so you see like a little bit of belly or a little arm or something. Fredo, uh, as he's uh, switching on there, you do see that there is about a yay size, which is about like a half dollar size, like, round like scar like in his lower abdomen fredo catches you kind of glimpsing at. he's like yeah one time uh i got caught off guard and i got impaled impaled Ooh. impaled by an annihilator but the thing is as i was sliding down the and he's thinking of the wording is the impaler the impaler part <laughs> of it i avidi kadivied the thing when it wasn't looking and i was managed to get away what's avidi kadivi i unalived it Oh, okay. All right. Now you blew it up. Actually, I was uh, I was trying a new thing, and maybe we could work on this together. You know how we have the uh, the spell where we like lift things up. Mm-hmm. Well, as I was sliding down the impaler, I concentrated on just its head, and I used it to lift the head right off and just go. And he makes a good old pop sound. So I'm thinking that if we run into one of the annihilators, two of us try to levitate it, and we. Fling it in opposite directions. Ooh. Ooh. Team up attack. I've been getting a little bored with all the fire and lightning. You know, I'm missing (laughs) a little bit of excitement. I'm sorry, Fredo. What did you just say? (laughs) I'm getting a little bored with all the fire and lightning. That is is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. How does one get bored of fire and lightning? It's very, very frightening. Variety is the... Something of life. They used to put it on food. The lightning of life. I don't know what the word for it is. Variety is the burn curry of life. Uh, Lauren, it's the same thing. if you eat the same meal over and over and over again, it, you, you get tired of it. You, you get better at it. You get you get stronger at it. You're able to do more with it, and then it gets it gets it gets. It's, it's, it's not. It's not. I'm not getting my creative scratching my itch. As you two are discussing this, and uh, Marine is sort of like leaning in and really sort of mirroring Fredo's like gesticulating speech. Tell me about uh, about your worst injury, Maureen. Okay. So the whole idea about Maureen wanting to do the same kind of two spells, the same two avenues of destruction over and over again, especially the lightning, and get better at it is partially because of a battle that they got in and where she shot at an annihilator with some lightning and missed. And then decided that she didn't want to miss and tried to do the thing in where she goes back like a half a second and fix things. But you know how we were warned that sometimes when you move through time, you also move through space? So she moved back in time and forward in space and ended up shooting herself with her own lightning bolt. And so, and fortunately it was just a graze. Fortunately it was just a little bit because she also kind of failed at casting this thing. So it was, it was a failure all around. It was just an extra special failure. So she's got kind of the spider webs across 
her side and up her ribs, they're not mm -hmm. really noticeable scars until you point one out. And then it's like a, that spider web of just the thicker flesh right there. Right. And it took you all a while to get the, the story out of her because she didn't, as cool as it is to say that you shot yourself with your own lightning bolt by going back in time, she also shot herself with her own lightning bolt by going back in time. It was very, both confusingly annoying and embarrassing, but eventually you did, she had to show that she got injured to get help and then had to admit it. And so as she's putting on the vest, she'll say, well, now at least I know if that happens again, I think, I think this thing is going to stop it, right? That's what this patch is for. I, it, it will certainly help. And as uh, Professor Fossil Snap is sort of like showing uh, Maureen some of the patches, Grisham, Jack, why didn't you tell me about your worst battle injury against the Annihilators? I was trying to help a bunch of Pennas escape, and I was found myself up against uh, three Annihilators. And I managed to take two down with magic very successfully, but another one got very, very close. So I cast a, a sort of a fire spell to make its head explode, but the, the head actually... Because of, I don't know if it was the angle or the, I got a calculation wrong, the head flew towards me. And then Grishin lifts his shirt and see like his side, basically. And you can see like the face of an annihilator, like burned into his, into his flesh. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. I, I probably could have healed it at any given time, but I think I'm going to save that for when, we're, when we win. That's the, so when they would ask me what the first thing I'm going to do, if and when we win, it's going to be to cast a spell to remove that scar. Really? Because Grisham... You have to admit, that's super cool. It's like it's like a tattoo of honor at this point. So if you if you change like it's it's fine if you want to go with that, and I'm here for it. But if you change your mind, that's super cool. Be like, these are the things I destroyed. Ah, and show off your face scar, which is on your chest, but it's a scar of a face on your chest. I think the best dishonor I can do to them is the second we win to forget to put it all behind me and forget they ever existed. Professor Fossil Snap sort of nods and he's like, I'm afraid that early on in this campaign I too was in on the front lines fighting for my life. And you see him do this. Uh he takes his hand and sort of like draws it over one half of his face. And when he does that, a glamour starts to disappear. And you see, normally he has sort of long but braided long gray hair, and it's sort of like in a in a little a little braid in the back. But as he does this, you see that one side of his head is completely burned. He's actually missing a little bit from his cheek. Uh, his face is pretty heavily scarred on one side, and one of his eyes is. Uh, it looks like it still works, but it doesn't look normal. And he says, I have chosen to disguise this with a glamour, mostly because, as of right now, our healing magics are better used for people in the field, such as you. Grisham, when this is over, I will partake of my own healing magics and finally take off this glamour once and for all. And he takes his hand and runs it past his head again, and his normal face appears. Thank you for letting us see you. I feel like it'll be a symbolic act, right? Like you'll get physically healed to help with the um, the emotional damage from this whole thing? Well, thankfully, uh, our health staff includes, as you well know, many professionals that have taken an interest in, in Penta mental healing as well. And I have very much taken advantage of their services. They have done me wonders in dealing with my own injuries. and. Should you have the need, uh, if you haven't already. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nope, I've talked to my therapist a bunch of times. Yeah. Good. That's Good. why I'm so well adjusted. <laughs> little, little sparks come from your eye. <laughs> I mean, I still have work to do. I still, like, I'm not perfect, right? I, I go to the still... chiropractor to get well adjusted. Ah, ah, uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. I like you're that. You're lucky that a couple of years ago, a Penta uh, chiropractor was rescued and has taken up residence in the castle. He's he he is very popular. He's he's booked out quite a ways. Absolutely. Okay, so now we need to get the cool military guy back so that he could share one of his scar stories because I'm sure he also has a 
a cool story. And maybe, I mean, he seemed to be pretty impressed with us without knowing too much about us. But maybe if he hears our cool Scar stories, that'd be, I just really want to impress him. I don't know why. I'm sure if everything goes well, that you all will be able to have that. uh, We'll be all be able to trade stories. I'm afraid I'm needed elsewhere in the on the grounds. Uh, But please uh, stay, study and avail yourselves of the material I have here. And when you are ready, I will message you and let you know of the day. But I would say, be ready by dawn, day after tomorrow. We sneak at dawn. We sneak at dawn. Professor Fusselsnap leaves, and, uh, and you guys go over the rest of the materials. You get a really good idea of the layout of the area. Even with your classified files, you don't you only have rudimentary blueprints of the building uh, that they're using. It's very unlikely it's still intact the same way, but you at least have an outline of what what to expect. Yeah. Do we have the names of the other chronomancers besides Professor Hauer? If we don't, that's okay. Or if we do and you're like, and you get the names of the other four chronomancers, I'm okay with that too. I'm trying to give you an out, Jonathan. No. You tasked me. You tasked me and you will have them. <laughs> Let's this would, see. This would also be the second time this week that I've been in a in a game in where we've asked about a list of names and the, the storyteller He's is just like just gonna bring up the starting lineup of the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears and read off their names. I was I, I am you know what? <laughs> Not the Bears. <laughs> We're gonna go I wasn't starting to start no trouble. I named a whole bunch of plants after the oh the hockey team that Luke loves so much from 1995. We are going to go with the 2002 to 2003 championship without an asterisk. They won in the shortened uh, uh, 99 season, but then they won again several times. San Antonio Spurs roster. Nice. So in addition to Professor Hamilton Hauer, we also have Oh, this is going to be a, bra- a blast. Professor Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen. Professor Manu Ginobili. Uh, you're going to have to spell that last name. Grisham, Grisham, spell spell that for me. I'm trying to take notes. I want to say J-I-N-O-B-L-I. I'm pretty sure it's a G, actually, but eh. It is a yeah. G. It's it is a G. G-I-N-O-B-L-I. You got the rest of I it. I remember him. And I just realized that although I love Bruce Bowen, Manu Ginobili, and of course, you know, obviously David Robinson Hell and, yeah, two and, uh, and Tim Duncan were uh, were on there, but they're famous enough. The fourth professor that's missing is Professor Steve Kerr. <laughs> K- Love it. K U R C U R. K E R R. And the last professor is actually, since there aren't many ladies on men's basketball rosters, the last one is actually going to be the first lady coach. Uh, in the NBA, and that is Professor Becky Hammond. I love it. Would have also accepted Don Staley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we got to sneak in. We got to sneak Hammond. in and get Howard Bowen, Ginobili, Hare. Uh, here? Hare? Kerr. 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 Kerr is human. Kerr and Hammond. Yes. We got to get all those. We got to get all those professors and then blow everything up and then leave. That is the or mission tear it at hand. Uh, or tear it apart and then blow it up. Or bring it with us. Ooh, maybe we could work on a minimizing spell. And we just shrink it down and make it little trinkets. It would result in minimal damage. Ooh. I almost felt like Grisham like, went into Travancore Pun territory there. He's been thinking about that so far. <laughs> you have to have the spell that can also make things bigger again, right? Because if you just make things small, then you're just making things smaller. You need an enlittling spell and an embiggening spell. There you right, go. But see, how, how bad are the annihilators if they're that itty bitty tiny grains of rice? They keep them in a little jar and go, hello. Or, or it's one of those mass things in where when you make things smaller, their mass contracts. And now you got an annihilator that's only like three inches tall, but has the, the punching power of the entire sun. So you actually do know of a... A situation where a arcanist tried to shrink a few annihilators. They're dead. The arcanist or oh, the see, annihilators? Oh, see, it killed the annihilators. The arcanist. Oh. 
they did not work out well. Apparently, yes, Maureen's notions were correct. They actually punched slightly harder because they their the force had uh had less surface area. And you all are aware of the ancient tale of Ant Man versus Thanos. Yeah, one of the annihilators. Uh, oh, that uh, one. Oh, okay. yeah. I mean, Alfredo was able to get us a whole bunch of those comic books, so I still don't know where you got them. You know what's funny? Nah, the, nah, uh, don't ask. So as you guys, you guys prep for the next couple of days, uh, real quick before you guys head off on your broomsticks on your mission, we'll start with uh, Grisham this time. Give me something that over the next day and a half, uh, something that you've done to prepare. Grisham finds basically every book he can find about automation, AI, robotics, like any kind of like design history and flaws, understanding that there's an extra arcane, like weird layer on there, suspecting that it's linked to magic, but not really being able to substantiate it. He researches those avenues to maximize the effectiveness of whatever magic he prepares. And then he tries to find for, look for clues within like, um, within the story in terms of encounters and trying to figure out like even talking to professors and figure out if there is a magical dimension to, to Stormnet, like how to counteract that and how to exploit it. Okay. Fredo, how do, how do you plan? Fredo uh, spent his time getting more comic books. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> On the, the thing about the Ant-Man and how he embiggens in the anus to make sure that my anus doesn't get embiggened by a tinified <laughs> annihilator. As you probably, given the history of shrinking annihilators, you probably don't want to do that. But yeah, you're gonna do what Fredo does. Okay, all right. Comic books about Ant Man versus Thanos. Excellent. Lauren, Maureen, uh, what? Do, how do you? How do you do your own pre- personal preparation? Maureen's gonna do two things. One is gonna be the really boring committing as much of the map to memory. She's gonna look over any map, every map that she can get of the area blueprints of the buildings no matter how vague it might be and she's going to do her best to memorize as much of it as possible because she knows how fickle physical maps can be and when she gets tired and needs a break from that she's gonna practice her chronomancy over and over and over again and try to do a second and then immediately another second to see if it works and then jonathan with the with the comic books Fredo is actually using him as a disguise cover for his classified documents that he pocketed. <laughs> and he's going to look into those. Excellent. Okay. Okay. As you guys have spent your time preparing, the day of the mission comes. You guys are standing at the in the courtyard, broomsticks in hand. Professor Fusselstamp comes out and says, Normally I don't see uh, these sorts of missions off, but for you all, I will just say, good luck, good hunting, and may time be on your side. So before Professor Fusselhoff leaves, tra- I mean, tra- before, gosh, I've been saying that for five, <laughs> six years straight. Grisham takes a piece out of his, writes a quick note on a notepad and signs it, and he hands it to Professor Fusselstab and it says, hang on to this, it might be worth something someday if we win, and it's signed Grisham Vinod. <laughs> okay. I love sure. it. <laughs> And that's apparently where we're leaving off for tonight. Thank you guys yes. for a great little session. Um, pulling back the DM curtain a little bit. You made it through half of the prep that I had for this session. So <laughs> thank you all for hanging out with us and uh, hearing some very silly stories. And we'll see you all next encounter. Bye. Bye. Adios. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, then visit us at distinguishedadventurers.com. There you can find links to our podcast and social media, pictures and bios of our cast, info on our Patreon, and much more. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our Patreon patrons and extend a special thanks to our top-tier patrons. Thank you, Forrest from StabbyQuest, Jesse Florence, Nate Zakari, Rebecca, a.k.a. Bunny Monster, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, Lori, a.k.a. Calamity Jane, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.